0: 22% of the people who live in Canada were born outside of this country, and I'm one of those. I didn't know much about Canada as a child, except maybe I watched some hockey game when Sweden, which was my home country, played against Canada. But then I received Christ as my Savior. I received a powerful experience with the Holy Spirit, and I, I became on fire spiritually, and so a Canadian began to profoundly influence me The late Dr. Oswald J. Smith, founder of People's Church in Toronto, Canada, I began to read all of his books, as many as I could get my hands on. And then one day I ordered a copy of of his biography entitled Not Made for Defeat. And I don't remember the details, but one paragraph, a very short paragraph, a sentence or two, stood out to me. In the biography, he mentions that Canada as a nation had never experienced a nationwide spiritual awakening that puzzled me you know i knew already that many of the european countries germany france the scandinavian countries the uk had experienced nationwide spiritual stirrings and of course south of the border the united states of america uh, you hear people speak of the revivals the awakenings there and so i thought that's so strange canada has never had a national spiritual awakening from coast to coast a a time when when the the gospel the message of jesus was the talk of the country and so i had no idea that i would end up in canada but a few years later at the age of 19 i was invited to hold my first gospel campaign. I was called a teenage evangelist at the time, and for the next 16 years, I crisscrossed Canada from Newfoundland to Vancouver Island. I I I have the privilege of getting to know this country in the way that few people have had the privilege to do. You know, I could drive without a map. Uh, We didn't have GPS in those days all the way from Toronto to uh, Fort St. John, British Columbia, or to the uh, far reaches of of, uh, of uh, Sydney, Nova Scotia, I-, I was so familiar with the country. I experienced wonderful things. I learned to love this country, and-, and many people came to the Lord. I think my my greatest experience in those years was in Edmundston, New Brunswick, a town of about forty five thousand people, mostly French speaking. The Baptist denomination, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, others had tried to start a church there, but it hadn't succeeded. There was a little prayer group of about. Uh, maybe 10 or 12 people, but there were Christians living one or two hours away. They were willing to join in. And so we went there and we rented Big Step of Faith an auditorium seating 1,000 people. And I still remember it because we were so uh, nervous and and such tension. Would anybody come on the first night with all the Christians driving in from surrounding areas? We had just about 100 people and 19 people from Edmiston to Brunswick RESPONDED TO GIVE THEIR LIFE TO CHRIST. THE NEXT NIGHT, WE HAD OVER 300 PEOPLE, AND I STILL REMEMBER 101 INDIVIDUALS RECEIVED CHRIST. THE NEXT NIGHT, THE AUDITORIUM WAS PACKED, AND IT STAYED PACKED FOR THE REST OF THE WEEK, AND OVER 1,000 PEOPLE RESPONDED TO GIVE THEIR LIFE TO CHRIST. ALL I'D HEARD WAS THAT THE FRENCH-SPEAKING PEOPLE, because of their heritage, because they're the Roman Catholic background, they would not be receptive to the message that you must be born again, but I found that not to be so. I found, especially as Jesus Christ revealed himself as a healer, it was sometimes easier to pray uh, for those Catholic friends. They were more ready to receive Christ as a healer than many of the Protestants and Evangelicals that I had known. And so Canada became a part of my, my heart. I began to see a vision for this country several years into it, and I'll tell you more about that later. But let me first of all ask a question. Is Canada in the Bible? Well, arguably, every time that the word world is there, that's Canada. But I want to give you three scripture verses where absolutely Canada is in the Bible. It says in Haggai chapter 2, verse 7, God says, I will shake all nations. That includes Canada. You say, what kind of shaking are we talking about? Earthquakes, natural catastrophes, financial collapse, wars, famines, plagues, pandemics. Well, the book of Hebrews interprets and gives us understanding regarding what Haggai was prophesying about. And in Hebrews chapter 12, they quote Haggai's prophecy. This indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. And the whole book of Hebrews was about this, that the religious system as the Jewish people knew it, and it was about man-made things, the temple which would be destroyed, which would be shaken, that was man-made, all the utensils, all the different traditions. And what the Hebrew writer here is saying is that everything that can be shaken, and he he's speaking about religious systems, they will be shaken. And what will take over that which is unshakable, namely the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, that cannot be shaken. And so this directly speaks to the Jewish nation and what they experienced in the first century. But I submit that it speaks to all people. And there are many other verses of scripture that says, for example, that the knowledge of the Lord shall cover the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. And Haggai, when he said it, he said it was for all nations. Yes, it applied to Israel, but all nations means Canada. God says, I will shake Canada the religious systems, man-made traditions, ideas that are not really based in Christ and his gospel will be shaken. Why? So that that which remains is that which cannot be shaken. There's another scripture verse where uh, I would argue that cannot is in the Bible. is found in Matthew chapter 4. And it's the devil speaking. Now, when the devil speaks, we don't always pay attention. We shouldn't do, but but the Bible correctly quotes the devil. It says, the devil showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Interesting. So the devil, the personification of evil, Uh, the enemy of God's purposes. He says, I own the nations. I own Canada. Maybe you think, well, sometimes it seems like he's exercising that ownership, but uh, I would hasten to say, remember, this is the father of lies speaking. He says, I own the nations. I give them to whoever he wants. That gives us a little indication of a spiritual battle. There's another passage of Scripture where THE LORD IS SPEAKING THROUGH THE APOSTLE PAUL IN THE CITY OF ATHENS. AND IN MANY WAYS, THE CITY OF ATHENS IS VERY MUCH LIKE CANADA TODAY. ATHENS HAD A a MOSAIC OF RELIGIONS AND CULTURES, PEOPLE FROM ALL OVER THE WORLD. THEY CAME EITHER TO ATHENS OR TO ROME AND PEOPLE WERE THERE DISCUSSING PHILOSOPHIES AND RELIGIONS AND IDEAS. And, AND HERE'S WHAT PAUL SAYS. God has made from one blood every nation to dwell on the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. The phrase all nations includes Canada. So, so that I would say it says their time in 1867 this nation was founded. and We talk about two founding nations, but it's really three. We talk about the French and English and, and, and often have forgotten the, the powerful influence of the First Nations people. And I want to say to you who are from one of the First Nations, God wants to work powerfully through you. You have tasted abuse. You have seen what religion can do at its worst. AND SO IF ANYBODY IS READY AND PRIMED FOR THE MESSAGE OF THE GOSPEL OF JESUS CHRIST AND THE ACCEPTANCE THAT GOD GIVES TO EVERY PERSON, I SAY WE INCLUDE, WHEN WE TALK ABOUT A SPIRITUAL AWAKENING COMING TO CANADA, WE INCLUDE FIRST NATIONS. BUT, but HERE IT SAYS, GOD set THE NATIONS IN THEIR TIME AND WITH THEIR PREAPPOINTED BOUNDARIES. So on the basis of that scripture alone, I am saying God has a place and a purpose for the nation of Canada. I don't think we will ever be a military superpower. We'll never compete with our neighbor to the south. But I submit to you, Canada can be a spiritual superpower, a gospel superpower. We have an acceptance around the world I sometimes joke with my American friends because when we travel around the world in Asia and Africa especially if we are in areas where there's some political and religious tension some of my American friends they try to get a hold of a maple leaf to put it on their lapel fake Canadians they're trying to pretend they're Canadians because they think that they're less of a target for a potential terrorist because our country has a great reputation All over the world, I I meet people who who tell me how wonderful Canada is. I don't even uh, think they, I think they they, they maybe don't understand the problems we are facing and the spiritual problems we are facing, but but they speak highly of our country. This gives us an opportunity for Canada to be a place where the gospel can go in a powerful way to the world. So I don't stand here in a lighthearted way just to Say, oh, some revival, some awakening. No, 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 no. I realize the gravity of the situation. I realize that to many Canadians, they don't even think about God. They don't think about church. They don't think about Jesus Christ. I realize that our country has welcomed millions of people to our shores that have brought their own religions and ideas and beliefs. So I'm not saying it lightly. I'm saying it counting the cost, assessing the need, What will it take for Canada to have a spiritual awakening from coast to coast? And in the book of Zechariah, there's a picture of a spiritual awakening. What happens when God shakes a nation? We read in Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10, and I'm just abbreviating a little bit for time's sake. God says, I will pour out the spirit of grace and prayer. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep for him. Now, I know this is speaking to Israel, but I submit that what we're going to see here, seven Seven happenings when God shakes a nation, it is applicable to every nation because God is the God of all flesh and of all people. Number one, God says, I will pour out a spirit of grace. That, that may surprise people because we've been taught that a, a national awakening, a spiritual awakening, starts with prayer, with fasting, with repentance, but not so in Scripture, not so on the day of Pentecost, not so in the city of Ephesus not so in the city of Corinth, not so in the pattern given in Scripture. It starts with an outpouring of God's grace, his unmerited, undeserved, uh, unearned favor through Jesus Christ. Oh, how do we we explain grace? Well, grace is that the first, the ones who look so holy, so great, they come last. And the last one, the one who didn't even believe in him or herself, the one that nobody else believed in, they come first. What's God's grace? It's that the people who got hired and only worked for one hour, in Jesus' parable, they get the same wage. as Those worked for 12 hours. Those who worked so hard. That's God's grace. That's unmerited favor. What's God's grace? That a hellhole of a town like Nazareth, that's where Jesus was born. In the Jewish thinking, a prophet should be born in Jerusalem or some more holy place, but he comes out of Nazareth. And they said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's God's grace. That there was only one widow, and she was a pagan. She didn't know the law of Moses. She didn't know the Old Testament scriptures. She was a a widow outside of the religious system. And yet Jesus said that in the days of Elijah, she was the only widow. Who received bread. Many prayed for bread, but she got it. That's God's grace. And in that same sermon, Jesus says there were many lepers. Undoubtedly, if you're a leper, you wanted to be healed. But he says, in the days of Elisha, there was only one leper who was healed. And he was not a part of the religious system. He was a Syrian. He was a bad guy, actually. His name was Naaman, a bad guy. But he He received. That's God's grace. What's God's grace? The two people went to the temple to pray in Jesus' story. He says, one was the Reverend Bishop, holy man of God. And he told God that he fasted and he prayed and he was a pretty good man. But in the story, he got nothing. But in that same prayer meeting, there was a man beating his chest and looking down. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he went home and received everything that's Ephesians 2.8. By grace you're saved through faith, that not of yourself, but it is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. But maybe you say, Peter, doesn't everybody know this? Doesn't everybody, do, do you really think that we need an outpouring of God's grace in Canada? Before I dare to look at the nation, let's look at, at the church. You know, George Barney is arguably... the the leading person as far as research of religion and faith in North America. He is from the, he heads the Cultural Research Center of Arizona Christian University. And in their August 2020 report, let let me just show you some of the statistics. In in a survey, 46% of Pentecostals, Charismatics, 41% of Evangelicals, claim that salvation in heaven is obtained by being good or doing good. Look look at it. That's what Pentecostals, Charismatics, Evangelicals believe, say, almost half. That's shocking because every one of those Evangelical churches are founded upon the idea that we are not saved. By works, that our works are being good and doing good are filthy rags compared to God's goodness. Put the statistic back up there again. That that those churches are established on the fact that, 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 that you're saved by faith in what Jesus Christ has done. And so you say, do we need an outpouring of God's grace? How is this even possible? Because though you can go to a church's website, you can look at the statement of faith and invariably it would say that you are saved by faith in Christ and it's by grace. But you see, if that's never preached on a Sunday, if what you hear on Sundays in church is all these, you know, be good, do good lessons, all these Seven keys here, eight keys there, ten steps here, self-improvement. What does it matter what your statement of doctrine and faith says? And so that's happened. Let me me give another statistic again from from the Cultural Research Research Center. 56% of evangelicals, 62% of Pentecostals, charismatics say that having a religious faith is more important than a particular faith. IN OTHER WORDS, AS LONG AS YOU HAVE A RELIGIOUS FAITH, EVERYTHING IS OKAY. THAT'S ALL RIGHT. Uh, IT DOESN'T REALLY MATTER SO MUCH WHAT YOU BELIEVE OR WHO YOU BELIEVE IN. SO WHEN WE SAY, DO WE NEED AN OUTPOURING OF GOD'S GRACE? I WOULD SAY, THE SHOCKING TRUTH IS THAT WE HAVE DOWNGRADED THE GOSPEL INSIDE THE CHURCH. WE SAY, WE NEED TO GET THE MESSAGE OUT TO THE WORLD. WHAT MESSAGE? The message of self-improvement, Dr. Phil is already doing a good job. Is that all we have to say to an opioid opioid addict that comes to our church? Do we have the same thing to tell them that they get in the uh, drug clinic where they attend and try to improve and make the right choices? Don't we have something greater to offer, namely that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from every sin? My, My friend, you say, well, legalism is over. We don't need to work. Yeah, the old, was, you know, there was a certain kind of legalism. I remember as a kid when I went to church, some of the women all wore a big hat. That was like, if you weren't doing that, you were not really serving God. Thank God that's gone, that kind of legalism. But we have another kind of legalism that comes from, you know, self-improvement. you got to work on yourself enough. Now, what the Bible says, you work on your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who works in you. It's not you just improving yourself. It's God and you together working out and seeing this wonderful power of the gospel influence every area of your life. And so so the gospel is under attack. That's how it was 2,000 years ago. There were those in the book of Acts who said, well, you know, Jesus is good. Jesus is good. But let's add some more rules. Let's add some more regulations to that. And so I say, when when God shakes Canada, an outpouring of God's grace, and that's what this ministry is all about, is to reveal how wonderful Jesus Christ is. You see, religion says you need to deal with your sins. Deal with them. But, But THE GOSPEL OF GOD'S GRACE DOESN'T SAY THAT. IT SAYS, YOU ARE INCOMPETENT OF DEALING WITH YOUR SIN, BUT SOMEBODY ELSE HAS DEALT WITH YOUR SIN FOR YOU. HIS NAME IS JESUS CHRIST. OH, I, I, WE COULD TELL YOU MUCH ABOUT THIS. BUT THEN COMES THE SECOND, I WILL POUR OUT THE SPIRIT OF PRAYER, PRAYER, HOW TO PRAY. NORMALLY PEOPLE PUT THAT FIRST, BUT HERE it COMES SECOND, BECAUSE after we experience God's grace, we know how to pray. If people don't know God's grace, well-intentioned Christians, they will pray obsolete prayers. They will pray non-effective prayers. They will pray prayers based in a religious system rather than in the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, many people, and please don't turn, off, turn the dial now, don't, don't turn me off, But, you know, there's there's a default prayer. Whenever something goes wrong, if there's a terrorist attack, if there's a problem, financial, whatever it is, people say, oh, we need to go to 2 Chronicles 7.14. 2 Chronicles 7.14 is like a mantra. And, and, and of course, it's a beautiful thing described there, but I want to stay with me. Let's read it first. There Solomon is leading the people of Israel in prayer, and he says, if my people who are called by my name WILL HUMBLE THEMSELVES AND PRAY AND SEEK MY FACE AND TURN FROM THEIR WICKED WAYS. THEN I WILL HEAR FROM HEAVEN AND WILL FORGIVE THEIR SIN AND HEAL THEIR LAND. SO THERE'S THREE BEAUTIFUL PROMISES SPOKEN OF 3,000 YEARS AGO. ONE, GOD WILL BE HEARD FROM HEAVEN. NOW, ISN'T THAT WONDERFUL? SINS WILL BE FORGIVEN AND HEALING FOR THE LAND. BUT THERE ARE THREE CONDITIONS. First condition is humility. You've got to get everybody to be humble. That's quite a task. Seek God's face. you got to get everybody to do that. And then turn from evil. How do we know for sure everybody has done that? And then, so in Solomon's case, this prayer didn't work because the people of Israel were taken into captivity. His prayer didn't work. How terrible, how dreadful. But I have good news. Jesus Christ has answered Solomon's prayer. Look at it. I put it on the screen for you. God was heard from heaven through Jesus Christ. God sent his only begotten son. That was the answer. We're not looking now for God to be heard from heaven. God has already been heard from heaven. And our task now is we pray and we receive power to proclaim that God has been heard from heaven. And number two, Jesus put away the sins of the world. So we're not praying until God forgives the sins of the world. No, the sins of the world were taken and remitted by Jesus Christ. He paid the debt he didn't owe. And then it it, it says healing. Well, healing, physical, mental, spiritual, national healing. We hear a lot about WE NEED TO HAVE HEALING WHEN WE uh, SEE uh, RACISM AND WE SEE THE DIVISION BETWEEN PEOPLE. WELL, EVERYTHING THAT'S NEEDED, WHATEVER HEALING WE'RE TALKING ABOUT, HAS BEEN PROVIDED THROUGH JESUS CHRIST. SO HOW SHOULD WE PRAY THEN? I JUST HUMBLY SUBMIT TO YOU THAT we must filter 2 Chronicles seven fourteen through what Jesus has done. We can't keep praying as if Jesus hasn't done anything for us. So how should we pray that? Well, let Jesus tell us. In John 16, Jesus says there, In that day, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he'll give it to you. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name, ask and you will receive it that your joy may be full." So the key to prayer today, when we pray for our country, when we pray for your family, is to say what's included in the name of Jesus Christ? What's included? And I tell you, Solomon's prayer request that God would be heard from heaven, forgiveness of sin and healing, that's already included. IN THE NAME OF JESUS CHRIST. THAT'S HOW WE PRAY. IT'S NOT A PRAYER OF HOPING THAT IF WE PRAY ENOUGH, SOMETHING WILL HAPPEN. WE PRAY BECAUSE SOMETHING BEAUTIFUL HAS ALREADY HAPPENED, AND THAT GIVES US A BASIS, A FOUNDATION OF FAITH, THAT GOD WILL SHAKE OUR COUNTRY. LOOK AT THE SEQUENCE HERE. FIRST, I WILL POUR OUT THE SPIRIT OF GRACE. SECOND, I WILL POUR OUT THE SPIRIT OF PRAYER. AND THEN, THEN THEY, THE PEOPLE, We look on me whom they have pierced. Well, you know, that expression, who they pierced, tells us they begin to discover Christ. You you, you see, when you see how good God is and they begin to say, oh, Jesus Christ, in this case, the Jewish people, they say, what have we done to Jesus Christ? You see, when I'm talking about an awakening, I'm not talking about the word revival it's a wonderful word it means that something was dead and it's come alive and and i've heard about you know holiness revival weeping revival laughing revival miracle revival healing revival prayer revival but I, i'm seeing something greater well i'm not emphasizing on all those wonderful things maybe they are i'm saying the focus is on jesus christ the difference between the preachers. In the Old Testament scriptures, versus the new after the day of Pentecost, is that in the Old Testament, the preachers, you can look at Jeremiah and Isaiah and, and, and Amos and Obadiah and a whole lot of them. What did they preach about? Yes, they had some mentions of prophecies concerning the coming Messiah, but the, the largest topic was that they were preaching about the, the sins of the people. They were going over them in detail. But once you get into post-resurrection, after Christ rose from the dead, the preachers aren't preaching uh, the sins of the people. When Philip went to a, a sin city called Samaria, a city infested with witchcraft, he didn't preach about witchcraft. He didn't conduct an exposing witchcraft seminar. He preached Christ to the people. You know, Paul went to the sin city of that day, the city of Corinth, Las Vegas, multiplied by a hundred times. And yet there were idol temples, prostitution temples. It was just generally accepted. But when he came to Corinth, he didn't preach about all that. He says, I only preach one thing. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Because he took a look at the whole messy situation. He said, there's no sense in going through all their sins. It'll never end. The list will be so long. He preached Christ to the people. Simon Peter says, everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness, it is in Jesus Christ and in the knowledge of him. And you see, I have a concern here. I read those statistics uh, from the Arizona Christian University Cultural Research Center that even inside the church, people don't know the message of Jesus. You know, we have churches that call themselves very progressive and they often the ones who, you know, they they do a lot of nice and cool and happening things. And and every Sunday you get a life lesson. It's almost like you get Dr. Phil except with scripture verses uh, telling you how you can improve your life. That's one kind of church. But there's not so much mention of what Jesus Christ has done. It's not so much focus on, on him who was pierced. Then you have revival churches they talk a lot about the anointing about the holy spirit about the moving of the spirit about healing and you know all kinds of things but again there's not so much uh, about jesus christ Uh, you know how in the world can you focus on the holy spirit without jesus being front and center because after all the holy spirit came to reveal jesus you know, I was talking to a dear friend of mine who's on the board of directors of several Christian universities, and he was telling me about a board member, a board meeting in a particular university where they were going over the, the curriculum. And they had a large pumatology, pumatology department. That's the study of the Holy Spirit. And after they'd show this and all the other different departments, he said, Well, you don't have much about Christ. And he said the board members were surprised because nobody had ever pointed that out. It seems so self-evident, and there, yeah, come to think about it, we don't have so much about Jesus Christ here. I'm saying we have a problem here. We we think that that leadership principles and just great music and a great backdrop and big screens and all that is going to attract people. You know, sometimes even witnessing in the minds of Christians is no longer witnessing about Jesus, but it's rather witnessing about your church. It's like as if God said, go into all the world and tell everybody how great your church is. Talk about the children's department. Talk about the big screens you got. Talk about, oh, the good coffee you serve. You, You see, we become so shy, so laid back about that name, Jesus. And yet Jesus said to Paul, bear my name before all the Gentile world, before Israel, and before kings his name you know whenever i travel around the world i after we have a big campaign night and we go back to our place we're staying and maybe some of the team members are there many of them are young people i like to just kick back and talk to them And sometimes i say to them tell me about your churches tell me what messages do you hear preached in your church and and sometimes they're a little bit shy because they have respect for me whatever they don't want to they wonder maybe i'm setting them up in a trick question but i, I don't want to know so sometimes I have to give a list and say, Well, what, what does your pastor talk mostly about? Is it about the Christian family? About uh, end time prophecy? Is it about Israel? Is it about uh, demons? Is it about uh, submission to leadership? Is it about in Christ realities? Is it uh, what are I give them about, you know, 12 or 15 choices. And invariably, what comes back is demons. Submission to leadership, end times, mostly speculations. I mean, did Jesus say they go into all the world and speculate about the end time? No, he says he says the disciples, don't even deal with that. But, but you're to give witness to Jesus Christ. I'm saying we, we, we need to wake up. There's a crisis here. It's like we take the attitude, oh, everybody knows about Jesus. And some churches called revival churches they say, well, I've even heard preachers say, oh, everybody knows about Jesus. We need to reveal the Father. But, you know, that's not what John the Apostle said. He said that when you're a spiritual child, when you're just immature, you get to know the Father. And that's so precious that God is our Father. But he said the mature ones, the ones who are spiritual fathers, they know him who was from the beginning. They know him who is the word of life, Jesus Christ. Think about it. So I'm saying when God shakes Canada, And I'm speaking to every nation. If you're watching this from another nation, just because I have the maple leaf, the Canadian flag behind me, don't let that distract you. These principles could apply to your nation, but right now there's a stirring in my heart for Canada. So I'm speaking it to our country. When God shakes a nation, Jesus is front and center. Then let me read read some, some more here, or we can go back actually to what I read already. It says they will mourn. Mourning. It's a picture of repentance. They will feel sorrowful. Notice that comes forth. Some have said, well, shouldn't repentance comes, come first? It comes forth. Because until we discover Christ, there is not, it's not possible to repent. You see, the word repent is metanoia, to think differently after. To think differently after we have received Christ, after we've got information about Christ. So what happens to Israel here, they say, Oh, Jesus Christ, He was pierced for us. He was pierced. Oh, we did wrong. We didn't see who He was. We didn't follow Him. We didn't know Him. And so they have a change of mind. They they get new information about God. Let, Let me put it this way repentance doesn't lead you to Christ, the discovery of Christ leads you to repentance. Leave it up there because it's quite a thing. It might go completely contrary to anything that you have ever heard or known. You may think, well, well, you know, if I just repent of all my sins, the Bible says repent for the forgiveness of sin because the forgiveness of sins has already happened. Repent to life. Change your mind. The way you've been thinking now leads you to death, to self-effort. But repent, change your mind to life. So once we discover Christ, we we repent of our old way of thinking. And we say, that's why it says the goodness of God leads people to repentance. So until we know the goodness of God, there's nothing to repent of. We don't know what, what to repent for what. But once we know, oh, God is so good. God is not the way I thought he was. We say, I changed my mind. I BELIEVE THAT GOD IS JUST LIKE JESUS. THAT'S WHAT HAPPENS WHEN GOD SHAKES A NATION LIKE CANADA. LET let ME READ MORE. VERSE 13, THEY WILL MOURN EVERY FAMILY BY ITSELF, THE FAMILY OF THE HOUSE OF DAVID BY ITSELF, THE HOUSE OF NATHAN BY ITSELF, THE HOUSE OF LEVI BY ITSELF, THE FAMILY OF THE SHEMITES BY ITSELF, AND ALL THE FAMILIES THAT REMAIN, EVERY FAMILY AND THEIR WIVES BY themselves. I ABBREVIATED THERE FOR TIME. What do you have here? A national awakening. David speaks of political leadership. Nathan, the prophet, and then Levi, the priest, Shimei, the scribe. Those three speak of the religious leadership. And then all the families. So the the political leadership was influenced, was touched, transformed. The religious leadership and all the families were affected. I go back to this. I'm talking about when God shakes a nation, or you could call it a, a spiritual awakening. I am not content with the word just revival or a stirring or a renewal or, or a church being happy or, or just saying, well, we pray for our loved ones. Well, of course we pray for our loved ones. But you know, there are many who don't have a loved one who names the name of Christ. And so... Again, I'm not doing this. And you will see as I continue, I'm not doing this just as a shot in the dark. I'm saying, having thought of the gravity of the situation, God says, I will shake all nations, and that includes Canada. You know, sometimes Canadians, we are so sweet, we are so bland, we are so in between, we are so, yeah. You know, our longest serving Prime Minister was William Lyon Mackenzie king you see his picture there and he he was a prime minister for 21 and a half years got to be pretty good got to be pretty popular uh, but you know there was a, a famous canadian poet and constitutional expert francis reginald scott and he wrote a not so complimentary poem and i just quote some of it because it speaks of canada and, it, and it's a way to assess where are we at as a country he, he said he said like this in I quote excerpt how shall we speak of Canada? We had no shape because he never took sides and no sides because he never allowed them to take shape. He skillfully avoided what was wrong without saying what was right. And he never let his on the one hand know what his on the other hand was doing. The height of his ambition was, a pile of a, it was to pile a parliamentary committee on a royal commission to let Parliament decide later. Postpone, postpone, abstain. Truly, he will be remembered where men honor ambiguity, inactivity, and political longevity. Let us raise up a temple to the cult of mediocrity. Do nothing by halves, which can be done by quarters. So I say it's time to rise up, Canada. (laughs) You know, maybe it's our proximity to that giant neighbor of ours, the United States of America to the south, that somehow makes Canadians inferior. You know, when I I first came, I've already told you I immigrated here as a teenager and one of the 22% of the nation's population that were born outside of Canada. I I did notice after a while that Canada seemed to be living in the shadow of the United States. And we can understand that. And so with that comes something, inferiority. You know, I've been to over 100 countries. Even small countries have a different sense of of pride. What does it mean to be a Canadian? Some is, well, we're not American. So so we know what we're not. I noticed, for example, in the, in the arts and in music, every, every country in the world, they have their own superstars. They have their own singers that they love and adore. Even, even small countries, take Norway, which is five million people or so. They have their own superstars, they have their own. But, but in, in Canada, I found that Canadian great musicians and singers only become great after they've gone to the United States same with actors you know every country in the world I was in bulgaria i 've been in Africa they, they have their famous actors in Canada. Famous actors have to go to the states first, and after they 've been there for a few decades, uh, you know then, then we think oh that we claim them as our own it 's a very strange phenomenon in our country, even most ministries in Canada that are reaching out on television such as we are, you know eight out of ten of the largest I suppose are our Americans, so we thank God for our American friends but there's something in the Canadian psyche that is so in between. You know, even I meet people all the time in airports when I travel across this country. People come up to me and say, oh, we see you on television. Oh, you're visiting Canada now, they said, I said, what do you mean visiting Canada? I am a Canadian. No, no, we thought you were an American. People even assume that if you're doing something a little bit exciting, it's us. I hope you think we are, that you must be from somewhere else. Now, I'm a Canadian, but but I get that. And so I say, Canadians, rise up. Take a stand. You know, Canadian Christians can hardly handle when I state, which is an absolute fact, that of all the countries in the Western world, no country is as pro-abortion, as anti-pro-life as Canada. None. Are you sure? Go to Wikipedia. Check it out if you don't believe me. Yeah, people think, well, what can we must be middle of the road. Like, we're not too much this way and not too much that way. We're the worst. But what about Germany? Oh, they're bad, but they're not as bad as us. What about the UK? Oh, they're bad, but they're not as bad as us. When it comes to protecting, for example, the unborn, and I'm thinking, you know, we know from studies, science tells us, I wish the politicians would say this. I wish the politicians would just on this issue of abortion say, follow the science, because I suppose maybe the average Canadian can't stand us uh, standing up holding the Bible. We could do that, but follow the science. We know today scientifically from medical journals that, that there's a high viability of life from the 25th week on. We can see the ultrasound videos when that little baby in the womb is fighting against that suction to be pulled out. We know so much more. And yet we have this Nicety. Oh, we don't want to talk about that. You don't want to say anything about that. You, you don't, don't say anything. It's better, it just, just better be quiet. Canadians, rise up. Take a stand. Don't be so in between. You see, when I talk about when God shakes the country, I've thought about all these things. I'm not here just to make some nice proclamation and make us all feel good. No. I realize the seriousness we're in. Our hope is not in a politician or a political party. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. You know, you can can study this. There's so many articles written about why churches are in decline. And I'll give you some of the reasons that the experts are saying. First of all, affluence makes people not go to church. Maybe you've had this happen. Somebody says, I can't come to church because I don't have a car. We pray for them. And they Prosper a little bit. They get the car and they says, we haven't seen you. Oh, now we nowadays I travel on the weekend because I got a car. You know, once you have affluence, it gives you options. And then then what about we live in a society where it's all about the kids. So, so church happens when, when we have nothing else to do. There's no sports activities for the kids. And then you have blended families. You have a custody arrangement, which truly makes it difficult to have a pattern of going to church every Sunday. Not that a spiritual awakening is all about church, but I'm saying churches will be a part of it. And then, of course, we live in the age of Google. You can just Google anything. You, you know, when before we take our, that only happened a couple of times, take our dog to the vet, Tyna Googles everything. She knows more than the vet, at least uh, I feel almost bad for him. She's, she's checked everything out. You know, you can, you can Google your spirituality. So it's very possible to kind of be there and have a belief and not being engaged. So I've counted all that. I'm not just saying here, this is going to happen like that. No, no, there's so many things that says, Peter, you're just a dreamer. You're just a dreamer. Well, so was Joseph. So I'll, I'll be in good company that way. So why do I say this? I say we need a gospel of good news that goes beyond threats. So much of evangelism has been associated with threatening people and it backfires on us. There's collateral damage. We we need something beyond even argumentative apologetics because that will only take us so far. Friends, we have the answer to the existential crisis. We have the answer. Who am I? Why am I here? Where did I come from? Where am I going? We have the answer to this. But we've got to know the answer we have ourselves. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, church and all that, it doesn't do anything for me. I say in the words of the late president of the United States, John F. Kennedy, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. But I rephrase it, ask not. Just what's God going to do for me next? But ask, what can I do for my Jesus who has done so much for me? And therein lies the key to happiness and joy. Joy is not, yes, we know we need God to do things for us at times, of course, but joy is not in just being a receiver. Joy is in being a blesser of others. What happens when God shakes a nation Zechariah 13.1, in that day a fountain will be opened for sin and for uncleanness. I will cut off the names of the idols. They will no longer be remembered. And I will remove the prophets and the unclean spirit. What happens? Number six, freedom from guilt, sin, and shame is rediscovered. This is the a battle of every human being. How do I handle guilt? Oh, we can make excuses. We can try religion. We can blame our parents, our school teacher, our sister. We can medicate ourselves. We can try to escape into some fantasy world. But the fact is that God ordained that the blood that flows to the veins of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, it will cleanse the world's sin. Preach that. Declare that. Faith comes by hearing that. That'll change a nation. And then finally, number seven, light drives out darkness. Don't curse the darkness. Turn on the light. It says here, idols. Well, what's an idol? Maybe you think of an idol as, well, some some depiction, some, some handcrafted, some wooden piece with, seven eyes and five arms and that you're supposed to bow down in front of that shrine. But I would submit that an idol is whoever or whatever we trust in, whoever we worship. Who are we worshiping? Well, for one thing, we worship athletes and celebrities. You know, we go Completely crazy. I remember here when the the Raptors won the NBA title. I'm so glad they did, by the way. I'm all for that. I was excited a little bit myself. But, you know, some people just, uh, oh, this is going to change my life forever. This is what I live for. Toronto will never be the same. Come on. Toronto is exactly the same. Did that win multimillionaires dribbling a ball? Did that really make you happy? Did that give you new life? You know the answer. Whatever we trusted. And in this day of government lockdown, who who do we trust in? We trust in the government who wants to locked us down. And we're getting money. It's very easy to trust the government. You know, I come from a country that was elevated uh, back a number of decades ago. Not so much today because they got a lot of problems today. But uh, elevated as, as the shining bright example of what socialism can do from Sweden. And socialism, you know, it it sounds good, but it ultimately makes people trust the government. Government becomes God. So whatever it is, whatever our God is, it says here that the ultimate is that the idols are removed. Prophets. And I think that refers to some so-called Christian prophets that have a fascination with silly predictions. You know, they... They, they just take a little scripture, a little bit of their own idea, and they put it in a soup and say this. You know, we prophesy in Jesus Christ, the unclean spirit, this deceptive spirit that clouds people's mind. These things will be removed. See, many people, this last thing that happens in this spiritual awakening, the very last thing, uh, we think should happen first. First, we have to deal with the idols. First, we would say, we have to deal with the unclean spirit and and all this false spirituality. No, that comes last. That's the end result. First comes God's grace. So I'm speaking this with a vision for our country. I received this message, not exactly like it was today, given in 1987. And I spoke it in front of about 300 pastors, Some of them fell on their faces and began to cry and weep. I wrote a book in 1988. It looks like this, The Coming Canadian Awakening. Not a big book, about 100 pages. Where I talked about this stirring. And then I laid it aside. And I said, we'll just take God's love from Canada to the world. And we did that. But then in this lockdown, In this time of despair and fear like I've never seen it before, God began to speak to me. It's Canada's time. Now, that time, you've seen the flag behind me the whole time. That time I presented a message, not this message. This is much developed from that, but a message about Canada in Saskatchewan to those 300 pastors and many others. I had someone bring the flag and i asked my friend dean morris to just bring it i have another copy here I mean, we have the the screen but i want a, a, a living thing that i can wave in front of you here or i want some motion in this and so i said to the people and i've heard many say it but i never heard it said and i think those 300 preachers went home and said it to their congregation and everybody was saying it but but what i got was i looked at the red and i thought the red on the flag That speaks of the blood of Jesus Christ. That cleanses. Remits sin. That's what every religion is about. How can I cleanse myself from shame and guilt? And then the white speaks of righteousness. You know, we know the scripture that says that righteousness exalts a nation. But what kind of righteousness? Certainly not our feeble attempt at being righteous because our righteousness is like a filthy rag but the righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ, which is a gift. And then I looked at the maple leaf. It was so strange. You know, I was thinking, what country has a leaf on its flag? Most countries, they have stars and stripes like our friend to the south, or they have crosses or other things. We have a leaf. And then it came to me, the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. Maybe that's a message from God that God plans that our nation will bring healing to the nations of the world through Jesus Christ.